So if you can, join with me. We want to turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If you have a Bible app or if you have a paper Bible, you definitely want to open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. Make sure I'm saying everything that the Bible says. Double check me. Um, Also, I'll let you know, uh, this is going to be the continuation of our series through the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. If you notice on the screen, you can see the, the title of the sermon series is Sit, Walk, and Stand. And we're going to be focusing on our walk as Christians. Um, as you know, the, the first half of the book of Ephesians believed uh, you know, strongly in explaining to us, we don't really know what we're doing or where we're going until we know who Christ is and what he's done for us. So the first half of Ephesians is all about what Christ has done for us. And that can really be a strong uh, indication of where you are in Christianity and where you are in your walk is if you believe God is who he says he is. Some of the scholars would say the most important thing about you is what you think about God. Now, the second half of the book of Ephesians would be about our response to who God is. Once we know who God is and who we are in God, then we know what our response is supposed to be. Once you know your identity, then you might know your purpose and uh, direction. And then once you know your purpose and direction, then you know really what your destiny is supposed to be. And that is to walk and talk just like Jesus Christ. Now, as a person who gets to serve in both the kids' ministry and the youth ministry, I get the privilege of watching this walk out in a physical way. Um, Most of the time when you have new mothers that are nursing, they will bring their babies in. They have these little tiny babies, and those babies have no muscles, and they can't really do much, so the babies are being held. And then one fantastic day, the mom will walk in, and she is no longer holding the baby, and the baby will be walking behind her or in front of her. What's amazing is when you see those amazing little chubby Michelin man legs trying their best to go somewhere. I don't know where it is, but they're going somewhere. And, uh, you know, what you can see is as somebody's learning to walk, as you see this tiny human being trying to learn to walk, you can see where their excitement and their will supersedes their ability to walk, where, like, they'll turn the corner to go into the nursery, and they'll see their favorite teacher, or they'll see their favorite toy, and there'll be a huge smile on their face, and they'll go, but their legs won't necessarily go with them, but they're trying to go. Uh, You know, they want to run. But as Christians, we must understand, especially when you're looking around, everybody is maybe operating at different maturity levels. And but everybody is headed the right direction. And we must be here to encourage people in the scripture, not in our own walk. We must be encouraging people in where they're going, not where they're at. And so I just want to encourage you when you look at this, if you hear something that God might be saying to you as a place or an area of struggle, it's also an area of growth. So understand that God has called you here today to grow, but to grow in him. Uh, I just want to remind you, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 would say, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I even reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put those ways of childhood behind me. What the Bible is talking about is transformation. And as we go through the book of Ephesians and we look at that transformation that is to take place inside of us, I just want you to maybe just think about this. When you ever look at a caterpillar, right? Uh, A caterpillar lives one particular life in a specific way. It crawls on its belly and it eats leaves and it does the best that it can, right? As it just tries to make its way from point A to point B. But then one day it becomes a butterfly and it no longer lives the way that it used to live. It no longer crawls on its belly. It flutters from flower to flower and it doesn't eat leaves anymore. It drinks sweet nectar of the flower. I was reminded of this the other day 
when we, um, my boys and I actually found a couple of cocoons in the yard, and then a butterfly came out. And I was just thinking about this as this butterfly came out, and it landed on this flower in our yard. And I was like, this is so beautiful. And it unfurled its tongue, and it stuck its tongue in the, in the flower to drink. And my kids screamed, that's disgusting, and ran away. And I was like, yeah, but you don't know what it looked like when it was eating when it was a caterpillar. You know, as Christians, we no longer live like our old selves. We no longer go the places we used to go. We can reach higher than we did before because we're flying high on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we must eat, walk, and talk, and think differently than we used to because we are different. So today we're going to be talking about three different levels of different thinking and walks. And we're going to be, like I said, primarily focusing on the walk. We're going to be looking at a level of walking through imitation, a walk through illumination, and be ready for this, a walk through intoxication. Yes, I said that in a church. But don't worry, I'll explain. It is all in the scripture. Join me in verse 1 as we first focus on our walk of imitation. Ephesians 5.1. It says, Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love how point blank Paul can be. Paul can just like, just hit you right in the bullseye of your heart. Yeah, I have a lot of times when I, I'm sitting down with somebody in counseling and we always inevitably come to this conversation. What is God's will for me? What is God's will? Like they always want to know. And it's like, well, turn to Ephesians 1 and look at verse 1. Follow God's example. How do we follow God's example? By being dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. And what is that def definition of love? He doesn't hesitate. He goes right away. The way Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is, brings us to our first point. And you're going to see at the top it says, as God's children, we must, follow, uh, we must walk out this truth. Every single point we're going to talk about following God. Now walk, look at this truth that we must walk in. We must follow our Father God into love, into light, and into wisdom. And that is going to be the overarching theme of this chapter. Do you understand that we are the children of the Lord and we are to follow God's example? And that's it. That's the definition of God's will for us. Look at God and look at Jesus Christ. Do as they do. Let's close our Bibles and go home because we've now accomplished this, right? That's it. That's the sermon. But you can see inside of that we need to be reminded of this over and over because we are learning in this. You know, I have a son named Jojo. He's Joey Jr. and he just started karate. And I love watching him do karate because he's six years old and his muscles are not strong enough to do everything that his sensei is asking of him. But I love when he walks into the, to the dojo and he stands next to his sensei and he watches what his sensei does. And the first time he doesn't get it very right, doesn't get not even close to perfect. It doesn't even look like he's even doing the same thing that the sensei is doing. He might even be in a different martial art at that point. <laughs> but over time... As he watches and he mimics, he gets stronger and he calibrates and he gets closer and closer. And what is he doing? He's looking to imitate that who has gone before him. And this teacher is not holding back any of the information. It's the student that is catching up with the teacher. It should be no different for us as children of God to imitate the father. You know, my, my son also um, I, I've told this story before. This has happened to us recently. I would get up in the morning and I would take a microfiber cloth and clean my glasses in the morning. And my son, who's looking at me, wants to imitate everything that I do. 
because he knows his, his father's the coolest, right? You know, so he understands this at an early age. He would go, Daddy, I want glasses too. And I would say, no, 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 no. No, no, you, I have bad eyesight. You have great eyesight. Let's, uh, let, you don't worry about glasses too. Get older. And he goes, no, but you, I want to be like you. I want to do what you do. And so we went to the doctor and we found out he had a very significant stigmatism. And I was feeling really down about it, but he walked into the eye doctor and was like, do I get glasses? And they're like, yeah. And he was like, yes. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And he goes, I get to look like you. Now, what happens is that's heartwarming and heartwarming, uh, like melting. But you know what really hit me? This, this imagery of imitating the Lord and doing God as, as you are loved and you're guided by this loving father is my other son, Charlie, saw his brother put on glasses like his dad. And he went, well, well, what about me? I need glasses too. So he doesn't need glasses, so we had to get on Amazon and get him non-prescription regular glasses that he could just wear. But every morning we get up and we wipe our glasses and we put our glasses on. We look at each other and we nod and we go, it's going to be a good day. And we go on and they, like, they follow me. Now, I just say all this to say is that when a child is loved, they have a very strong reaction to imitate the person that is loving them. And they're more apt to follow. And are we not loved by a loving father? So the Lord is calling us to imitate the love that he's expressing to us so that we don't just imitate it, but we make it part of our life. It becomes who we are. The same is also true with the reverse. If you've ever experienced life, or this might be you, or maybe you've had a friend um, who didn't come from a household that had strong parents, or maybe they only had one parent, or maybe they had no parents, right? Maybe they're just uh, in a place like this. They will find a person that they think will lead them, love them, and affirm them, and then they will begin following them, but they will start imitating them. I had a friend um, who's, uh, who had a tragedy happen in their life early on, and they didn't have a strong father, and Next thing I know, in middle school, he attached himself to a gang of kids that lived a couple streets over. And next thing we know, he didn't just attach himself. He started talking like them. In middle school, all of a sudden, he's saying words that we were like, whoa, where did you even learn that word? Next thing we know, he has a cigarette in his hand. Why? All because he's following someone he believes will guide him and love him. And that's what Scripture is saying. You will either imitate the world or you will imitate the Father God who has given you everything. That's why... Colossians says it this way, just as you've received Jesus Christ, your Lord, continue you to live your lives in him. And that's what we're doing. We're talking about which example we're following. Now, Paul doesn't hesitate. Look in verse 3. He will immediately start talking about what happens if you follow the world. It says, verse 3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. You can see Paul pulls no punches there, right? It's not just that these things are bad. It's improper for whose people? God's people. But he doesn't stop there. He says, my holy people. And so we have to learn to see there's a difference between verses 1 and 2 and verse 3. We must begin to walk out this truth. Our walk of love must be a walk of sacrificial love, a walk of sacrificial love. You can see that Jesus Christ provided all kinds of sacrifice, right? And think about Jesus Christ's love, how sacrificial it was. Just read the first four Gospels, right? We're, how annoying were the disciples? I mean, every day they were dropping something new that you could just know. I, the Bible doesn't say Jesus rolled his eyes, but in my head when I read, he rolled his eyes a lot. Like, are you kidding me? Are we doing this again? How much pride did they bring to Jesus Christ? 
How many mistakes and failures did they bring to Jesus Christ? But did Jesus Christ ever give up on them? Did he ever stop loving them? Did he ever stop discipling? He said, no, follow me in this way of light and love and wisdom. Why? Because you are not where you need to be. You are getting stronger in your spiritual muscles every day. Now look at what the, the opposite is in verse three. Three examples of people following people and not God. Now look at this word. It says there not must be a hint of sexual immorality. I love that, that Paul puts in there. Like not even a hint, not even a slight speck, not a dust. We're not dabbling at all. Let me tell you why. This word immorality is, we know that word to be like, it's, it's the opposite of morality. But he has a strong connotation that comes to this. When he's talking about sexual immorality, the word immorality goes closer to devaluing somebody for less than their worth. In fact, the word would come out, it was immoral to sell something less than it's worth. Just think about this. When God is talking about sexual immorality, the Bible's talking about sexual immorality, we would say really plainly on the surface, we're talking about sex outside of marriage. And we could all agree, yes, the Lord is not for that. He's for inside of marriage sex. But I want to say this. He's also talking about here, if you have God's son or God's daughter and you were to pull them out of God's plan by having sex with them outside of marriage, you are devaluing them at the level that God valued them. God would say, I have created my daughter, I've created my son so that they could have the right kind of sex inside of marriage so that they would know that their value was intimately known by their husband and wife and then also by God. Now look at this, it continues to say this, and this is very sad and tragic. Look at the next part, it says, or any kind of impurity. This word isn't just like, just rated R or NC-17 or X. It's not talking about that. It's talking about treating someone like dirt. That word impure is closer to the word mud or something that's in the ground. And so this is a very sad and tragic thing Paul is saying. He's saying, wouldn't that be crazy that you would treat somebody like a thing rather than a person to be loved? And there we know we are pulling away from God's original plan. And I want to just lay, say this right now. This is where this can be very selfish. You know, people that look at pornography, sometimes they'll say in counseling, or even if you look at the statistics, well, it doesn't hurt anybody. But as we're coming to find out, especially with a lot of organizations that are diving into this, a lot of pornography is connected to sex trafficking. So if you are participating in pornography, you could be participating in something that has devalued God's creation to the point of being not just a thing, but less than dirt. And that is your participation in that. And the God is saying that's not proper for God's holy people to be a part of. And look at the last part. He says, or of greed. We're talking about devaluing somebody for the level of self-indulgence. I'm just in a grabby mode. Now, if you look at it, sexual immorality. We're talking about impurity. We're talking about greed. It's all grabby. It's all what I want. It's not putting the needs of the person who is to be loved over your needs. But that's not what Jesus did, right? He, he wasn't grabby. He wasn't selfish. What was he? He said, I'm not coming to you for what I can get from you. I'm coming to you for what I can do for you. And I will do it all the way to the point of the cross. Remember the night of the Passover, what did Jesus do? He got down on his hands and knees and washed those that would deny him, maybe even reject him, and they eventually would come back around. But what did he do? He loved them through it sacrificially. And there's an issue here. God is saying, don't mimic the people of the world. Mimic your Jesus Christ because people are self-centered. Jesus Christ was God-centered. 
This is going to play out very strong as our response to what God wants to be. Later in the book of Ephesians, it's going to say this. And I love when guys get all riled up when we read this uh, section of the Bible. It always says, wives, respect your husband. And all the men go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They get all hyped up on that. But then there's a verse that follows up. And listen to the bill. Husbands, you must love your wives like Christ loved the church. Fellas, we got a bigger bill on that one than they did. Um, how much did Jesus Christ love the church? To death. To death. He laid down his very life so that the church could flourish. And that's why we want to be a people that imitate God and his love and be as far away from the world in that respect as possible. Now look at the next set. We're going to be talking about imitation, about in our speech. And I just want to let you know, if you can think back to middle school, there's a lot of times I thought about this when I was reading this scripture. Uh, how many times kids talk a big game, but they never do anything. You might catch kids saying something, and you're like, you're not going to do anything about that, but you should wash your mouth out with soap. You know, like, you just, but I know you ain't got it in you. But eventually those deeds do show up as the words seep in our heart. So words can start what deeds will do later. I want you to see in verse 4. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So you can see there's three categories that will lead us to not just walk towards God, but what are we supposed to be walking away from? Well, the first one is obscenity. You guys know that. Um, that's the one that you would cringe if mom was in the same room as you as somebody dropped those curse words, right? Those are the words that, ooh, that make you like, ah. Uh. But then there's this other word, foolish talk, which is also foul talk. You know, you can curse, you can say something obscene without saying a curse word, and that's foul talk. Now look at the last one, coarse joking. Now, what is the result and effect of just saying these words? You could be a Christian and sing beautiful songs with Miss Rachel and Miss Jackie on Sunday, but you could say something totally different on Monday with the same mouth, can't you? But look at the result. If you let those words guide your heart, you could lose out on the inheritance of the kingdom of God. You know, we don't talk about this enough in church. Sometimes we feel like God calls us to do things, and we just do it for it's the right thing to do or God was so good to us. But you know that you could lose rewards in heaven? There's a chance for you to actually lose out by disobedience the rewards that were planned for you in heaven. Look where it says here, such a person as idolater has any inheritance. That comes with a strong word of reward that belongs to you being in relation to the family of God. So as believers, we could lose rewards in heaven and unbelievers could lose a place in heaven if they're never to to speak the right words. These are people who would speak the wrong words despite knowing the truth. And so we have to be careful. You know, I spoke to a gentleman the other, the other day that was here. Uh, it wasn't a church service, but he came over and he was just dropping F-bombs left and right. And I was kind of like, like tensing up because I'm like, but we're at church. But I mean, you're the same person everywhere you go. And I said, hey man, I know you're a believer. Why do you feel like that's okay just to run that around? He goes, no, there's no kids here. And I'm like, but Jesus is here. And he said, yeah, but I, you know, Jesus and I are cool. Like, you know, my, my speech doesn't really say who I am. And I said, funny you should say that. We're about to preach on Ephesians chapter 5. 
There is no new morality. Billy Graham would say this the best way possible. The new morality is just the old immorality dressed up. How much are we struggling with that as a nation, let alone a Christian church today? People justifying what they're doing. Look what God would say in verse 6. Do not be deceived. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So isn't that incredible? Is there any word that you could speak that's worth losing rewards in heaven? I mean, is there a word that you would like, oh, I, this, I, I'll say this word, it doesn't matter. I wouldn't risk heaven for the world. I wouldn't risk the rewards of heaven for anything. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather wipe that word out of my vernacular. If that grieves the Lord, I don't want to be a part of it. But look what it says. There is a special wrath that's reserved for those who willfully speak those words despite knowing the truth. And it comes across, remember that word it says foul talk, foolish talk? It actually comes across as funky almost like stinky, like a bad smell. Think of like death. And I want to remind you what we said in verse 1 and 2, but I also want to remind you what 2 Corinthians says. Think about the smell that we're about to read. Listen, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. First of all, if you look at verses 1 and 2 and then you look at this particular verse that's up on the screen, let's talk about this. How weird is it that God's out here smelling us? I mean, has, you just think about this. If God were to take a sniff, what would he get? I love to think, say this. If we were living for the Lord, we would be who 2 Corinthians says here. We would be, let me translate for you, we would be the Febreze of the world. Does anybody love Febreze? Does anybody love the power of Febreze? Some stinks. We're good. We're good to go. I've even seen back in college, I had, a, I had a friend who didn't wash his clothes. He just Febrezed it. And I was like, that's not how that works. But if you think about the world, you think of the world's doing, they have enough sin and death, don't they? And they have enough of that smell. But how different is it when somebody walks by with the aroma and perfume of Jesus Christ? You know what's different about the smell of Jesus Christ versus the world? It's the smell of redemption. It's the smell of restoration. It's the smell of hope. It's the smell of eternity where nothing falls apart in heaven. And we are to that to the world. We are, we are to give that by being inside of Christ. So we are to imitate Christ, not just in our walk, but also in our, in our pursuit by being sweet smell of victory of Jesus Christ and in holiness. And what we're not doing, we're not just running towards the sweet perfume of Jesus Christ, we're running away from the smell, smell of, of sin and of death and of that rot, right? That's why in Colossians 3 it says, do not lie to each other since we've taken off our old self. I'm going to translate our old stinky self with its practices and then put on the new self, the new Febrezed self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. So today, when you're walking in the walk of love, sacrificial love, you're walking in the sweetness of Christ. So that's our first walk of imitation. Now let's look at our verse 8 and talk about the walk of illumination. For you were once darkness, but now you are in a light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. 
but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And so we just have to uh, walk out this particular truth. It's very point blank. We must not just walk in the light. We must be a light everywhere we go. I want you to see that second second half of that statement. We must be a light. You know, Paul is very poignant in the scripture when he says this. You know, you didn't just walk around in the darkness. You were darkness. But now you are light. And you start acting like a light. Remember what I said? You once were a caterpillar. You are now transformed into a butterfly. What you used to do is not what you do now because you've been called to a higher path. And look how he describes what will happen if you walk out of that light. You are not just walking out of light and then into the darkness. You are becoming darkness. You know, the other day, I think it was like Tuesday and Thursday, we had all those crazy storms. Did anybody watch all those lightning storms, and some of the lightning came so fast, it was like in rapid succession. It was almost like one long lightning bolt, but my wife does not like the lightning because it keeps her up, but as a kid who grew up in Florida, I was like, oh, this is awesome, and I'm opening up the blinds even bigger, and I watched as this rapid-fire lightning hit, and it hit so much, it just lit up the street, it lit up the yard, it lit up everything. I could see everything almost like it was daytime. My retinas were burning, Um, But I could see everything, right, because it was just fully lit. But what did it do? The light pierced through the darkness, and the darkness couldn't even uphold itself to the light, right? And so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at there is no place for light and dark to play nice with each other. They actually split. In fact, did you know that darkness is just the absence of light? It's not that it's opposite or equal to light. It's The absence, it's gone. Light is gone. And so we must be a light to the world because where there is darkness, there is absence of light. And a few things about the darkness. So let me show you what it says. It's unfruitful. See how it says that? Where it says you're not going to get anything out of it. It's a fruitless deed of darkness. You know, darkness is negative and suppressive towards growth. You know, one thing I like uh, about living near Pastor Craig is he has a huge mango tree. And as soon as, you know, the sun comes out and blasts that tree with light, there was buds and then there was mangoes. And then you couldn't even, like, contain them all. He's got to put them in baskets, right? And so that's a beautiful thing. But if you look in the Old Testament, anytime there was an oppressive darkness, one of the first things that went were the crops because it needs light to grow. And that's what he's making a spiritual connection to. Light produces ripe and good and sweet fruit. You know that you could be a Christian that's not producing fruit because you're stuck in the darkness? And that's what he's saying right here. We need to be the kind of people that do things in the light, through the light, out in the light, because we celebrate the light. Because if we do the opposite, look what we do in the second part. Look what it says, but rather expose them. Verse 12, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. You know it's unmentionable what you do away from the light. That's how uh, grievous it is to the Lord. The Lord's like, it's, let's, let's not even bring it up in church. It's so dark, is what he's saying, or to each other. You know why? Because some of the deeds, if we're not, if we're not giving it to the light, if we're, if we're afraid to bring it out in the light, it's because the deeds that we have have no light in them. There's no light of life. There's no light of Jesus Christ. And we need to be a people who are very comfortable and at home walking in the daylight of Christ. You have to ask yourself this moment, am I walking in the light of Christ consistently? Now, I will let you know, this can be a very strong challenge of a scripture, especially for me, maybe for you, is when I read this, because you go, but, but we're, what am I supposed to do? The Bible says I'm supposed to be like a city on a hill, like we don't take a light and hide it under a bushel. Remember that song? No, I'm going to let it 
shine. But what does that mean? How do I make, how do I make that work? I'm not supposed to be in the darkness, but how am I supposed to make contact to the darkness? How am I supposed to break that light? Well, look no further than Jesus Christ, right? He, he spent many a time with sinner, didn't he? He went many to the, many times he went to people's house for dinner and people were like, what are you doing with them? They're sinners. And he's like, yeah, I know. I'm making contact, but I'm not making company. There's a difference and I want you to hear it. Remember when uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he? He was a corrupt uh, official that was a tax collector and he was ripping off his fellow countrymen by working with the Romans. And so he wasn't just collecting taxes, he was extorting all of his local people, right? And they hated him for it. And here's this man that knows that he is living in darkness. He's not happy with his life. He knows he doesn't have light, but at the moment that light came into his world, what did he do? He turned to it and said, that. I need to be near that. And so what did he do? Christ raised the light up in his life. And so Christ came up to him, and very, very much in the history of Calvary Chapel said, first... Let's go eat. And then we'll talk about everything we need to talk about. And so Christ invited himself over for lunch, right? And then they went inside the house, and when Zacchaeus came out, was he still the same or was he different? No, because Christ had contact with him, and the light came to him, and he didn't like just stop there. It exposed to him where the darkness was. And Zacchaeus, through the light, saw it and said, you know what? Where I used to rip people off, I'm going to bless them. Where I used to rob people of their lives, I'm not going to just bless them. I'm going to give out of the overflow and the abundance that I have, and I'm going to give more than I took. And why did this all come? Because the Lord didn't enable him. The Lord didn't play nice with him. The light came into his life and confronted him, and it exposed to him the darkness. And so even though Jesus probably talked to him real nice, he didn't hide away from the light of the truth. And so that is who we are to be. Look back at verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And that everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Isn't that an interesting way of saying it? So even though it might be a darkness, and even though it might be a fault, if you shine a light on it, if it's the thing that's breaking them, if it's the thing that's failing them, it'll point to them that their way isn't good enough. They need more. They need Jesus. And sometimes that will never come until we shine the light of Jesus Christ that's inside of us into them, not by our words, but by our life. We don't have to chastise them or judge them. You know, light comes by the way of seeing, not hearing, right? And so you don't have to bring words of chastisement. You have to bring the light of example. What is done in darkness can be exposed just by shining a light. It is automatic. I want you to look up at that picture and you see the moon. The moon can shine bright on a dark night, can it? It's automatic where you can automatically see where the problem is and you walk to it and you go, you know what, now I can see the problem clearly. That's why it says in verse 14, follow along where it says, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And so that's what it's saying to believer and unbeliever. Wake up and see what the light of Christ is doing. And you have to understand, just like the moon is up there on that picture right there, does the moon have its own light? Where does this light come from? The sun. We are merely light holders. And we reflect the light of Jesus Christ. We are not the source of truth, but we become the light of truth the moment the light hits us and fills us up. I'll never forget the night I went out airboating with my friends, and we were young. I think, we were, I think I was 18 years old, and we thought we were cool. 
and we didn't check the weather report, and we went out. They're like, it's a big full moon. Let's go out there. And so we took, we went out in the Everglades, and uh, all of a sudden, a storm came in, and that full moon got covered up real quick. In fact, we couldn't see stars. We couldn't see moon. And we had a little bit of lights on the front of the, uh, the airboat, but that didn't really help us because we ran into every tree on the way back. And uh, I just want to let you know, there was a lot of smiling alligators, and there was a lot of happy mosquitoes, but there was a lot of upset boys in that airboat. Why? Because we couldn't see where we are going. But the moment that the wind picked up and the clouds cleared and the full moon came back, there was a light that lit up a path right back to home. You know, there's a lot of people in our lives that are in this world that are just looking for a light on the path back to home, and that's you in this room tonight or today. I just want to encourage you in this. As God is lifting you up, you must reach to the light so that you can become the reflection, just like the moon, to the world. Just like the moon is to the sun, we are that to Jesus Christ and the world. Will you let Christ shine through you? But you can't do it by being the darkness. So you're either darkening this world or lightening this world. I just want to think about this as a person, and this is a strong word even to me who can get judgmental or petty sometimes. But just think about this. Is it easier for you to curse the darkness or raise up a light? It can get exhausting walking around cursing the darkness. But it is real easy to show the world how good Jesus is to me daily. And that's what Christ did in our lives And that's what Christ will do through us as we become a bright light and shine for Jesus everywhere we go. Now, let's move on to, I know you've been waiting for it, number three walk, the walk of intoxication. The walk of intoxication. Hang on, it'll be in there, all the good information. Look at verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what this particular scripture just said? It's amazing because we can look at that and get hung up on certain words, but I want to point out what the biggest and strongest point is before you even get to drinking. It says that every day is filled with moments that could either be rescued or lost. Rescued or lost. Which brings us to a final truth that we must walk out. We must redeem every day with the wisdom of the Lord. We must redeem every day with the wisdom of the Lord. And I just want to point out how this looks, and it's very practical. The reason why Paul locked on to this as far as drinking, it's because it's so visceral. It's like you can see it. Um, if you've ever watched any episode of Cops like I did back in the day, drinking led to a lot of interesting episodes of the show Cops, right? Because a lot of people were not being wise. They were being extremely foolish. Think about this. If you drink enough alcohol, if you fill yourself up with enough alcohol, you can no longer walk a straight line. And that is foolish by the terms that we're listing here right now. But also by the other point that God's making is to walk a straight line, spiritually speaking, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see the line that he's making the connection to? He's saying with one way, you lose all control. And the other way was you get intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. You become so sharp and so focused and so empowered, you do more than you could possibly imagine. 
And both are to be true. People are looking to be filled by something in some way. One time I was walking, or sorry, running down by the river. I thought I was like, hey, this will be fun. I'll just get a, a nice jog down the river. And I was running by this uh, restaurant, and these two guys were walking in. And I'll never forget this, this uh, statement one guy made to the other guy. And he goes, why do you like to come here for this particular drink? I guess they were having a special or a sale. And he goes, well, because when I drink this drink, it's the furthest I can get away from Sebastian. <laughs> and I thought about that. You know what he's trying to fill himself with? Escape. Escape. Is it wise to escape yourself if there's a major problem that needs to be fixed? You know, for God, God's saying, where are you going? I'm trying to fix the you, the here, right now to make you look more like me. If you keep escaping yourself, how can we ever confront the evil to replace it with the good? The Lord is saying that there is a particular place that it's a, a, a world that is trying to waste away. In fact, this word debauchery, if you look at that in verse 18, the word debauchery is closely word with a word today that we would say dissipation or the wasting away or the melting away of not just time but life. The dissipation of life. Debauchery is to waste away not just a moment but waste away life. Remember in college, guys would always say, let's go get wasted. You probably heard that in some point. But they were saying, let's escape life. Let's lose life. The Lord would say to you, I'm not looking for you to lose life. I'm looking for you to rescue life. That's why he's saying, be careful how you move in your life because every moment is a place where you can either be rescued or lost. And I want you to understand that when God wrote your life, he wrote your life to be just long enough for him to accomplish his will in it. Just think about that. He gave you just enough life for him to accomplish his will. On the retrospect side of it is too, he made it just short enough that there is no wasted moments. When the Lord comes to you, he says, I want to do amazing things through you because I don't waste the moment inside of you. In fact, I enable and edify and encourage you inside of my power in every moment. Think about this. Where wine loosens your inhibitions, the Holy Spirit would empower you to overcome what you would, wouldn't do out of fear, right? It would empower you, not loosen your ambitions. Just think about this. If we're wine, you could wake up with a regretful mistake. With the Holy Spirit, you know that you've been filled to the delight of the Lord. No regrets. Same filling, right? Or how about this? Wine can inspire you to sing a song of woe and of missed opportunity, but the Holy Spirit can lift up a song inside of you that can empower you to walk through fire or into the lion's den. Why? Because your God is with you. You know, I, the other day I did this experiment. I turned on the radio to listen to how many songs were caught up in woe and regret. I don't listen to a lot of pop radio. Every, I don't know if you're like me. I stream a lot now because uh, I can pick whatever song I want. But I listened to this pop radio station. And I listened for one hour. 13 songs of regret. Not just regret that of things that have just happened. But I'm, a lot of them are I'm about to regret the thing I'm about to do. And I was like, but that's where the world is. Lock and death and sin and and foul smell, but also no light. And here the Lord is saying to us right now, come to me and be filled with the Holy Spirit and I will rescue all those moments so that you don't have a song like that on your heart. Someone said this to me, and I'll never forget, it's right after both of our churches combined into one. And I was out in the lobby and somebody was like, just had this smile on their face. And I was like, hi, how are you doing? And they're like, you know, this place is a lot like the, the show Cheers. I don't know if you know, if some people in the room might know what Cheers is. Cheers is a show about a bar, right? And I was like, okay, I really want to hear you finish this thought. What do you mean by that? My name's Pastor Joey, by the way. Finish that thought. I'd like to know. 
And he said, no, I, don't get me wrong. He's like, there's no beer here, but there's a lot of coffee. There's a lot of cookies. Um, but you know what? There's that same warm vibe that they had inside of that bar I see in this church. And I said, what truly are you saying? And then right as I said that, I was like, what is this guy talking about? A man walked in the door, and everybody in the lobby turned and looked at the man and went, Bobby, how you doing? And I went, oh, my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about. This is a place that is overflowing with a spirit, but it's not wine spirits. It's the Holy Spirit. And everybody, just like the world is searching, people are searching in here for a place to connect, to confess, to commiserate. Is that not what the church is? To be connected to each other by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is a wonderful place to be. And then when they come here, they see the people that are here that are filled with the Holy Spirit, smelling sweet like Jesus Christ. And they want to be in that light. And they don't want to go back to the darkness. And they don't want to go back to the death. They want to be here. And that's why the Lord is saying, you know what? It's, it's, it's the same as out there, but it's a different in tone and emotion. I want you to just low, focus on what we said. It's hard to be filled with greed with a mouthful of thanksgiving. It's hard to be singing the words of holiness with a mouth full of coarse jokes. That's why the Lord is saying, come here and look at verse 21, and we'll close on this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I want you to understand what he's saying. We can be leaders in this community. We can be leaders in our home. We could be leaders in this city by simply doing this. Look at the power and the direction and the guidance of our walks. As we serve the Lord in love, we're imitating God, right? What a change that is. And as we serve the Lord in light, we are illuminating to the world the truth of Jesus Christ. And as we are serving the Lord in the area of intoxication, instead of being intoxicated, with what the world is intoxicated with, we are filled to the brim with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And this is how we lead, and this is how we serve. This is how we just bring an example of life over death in this world. We burn bright like the moon. Why? Because we are burning bright with the light of the sun, S-O-N. We are the difference in this world because Christ is the difference in us. And so as we meditate on these verses, I want to put a scripture up on the screen. We kind of close on this sometimes, and it's Numbers chapter 6. But I'm going to invite you to think about this word shine, how Christ shines on us and we shine on the world. This is our starting point. So if you guys can, would you just recite this with me? And not just recite it with me to the Lord. Let's recite it to each other. Let's recite it to ourselves. Look at this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen, right? Right. So what we want to be is we want to be the shine in the world. We're not perfect, but we're pursuing. We're not unholy, but we're blameless in our forgiveness of the Lord. We are the shine of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for giving us your light. Lord, I thank you so much for giving us your wisdom. But more than all, I thank you for loving me more than I deserve. Lord, I thank you for coming into my life and rescuing all the lost moments with the love that would chase me down and pursue me into my sin and rescue and pull me away from the darkness back into the light. You are the good shepherd. You would leave the 99 to go find the one. And that is the heart of a father that has never given up on his children. 
Let us not give up on your children. As you fill us with that light, let everywhere we go, the light shine through us and it pierce the darkness. I'm praying to people right now who have darkness in their home. Let the darkness be broken. There are people that have the, the smell of foul sin and death in their lives. Let it be broken by the sweet aroma and the redemption of Jesus Christ. Let chains break. Let people just be washed away in the affection and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. And let it become, because the people of this room became the invitation to the goodness that is Jesus Christ. All of us have been rescued and bought with a price, and it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let us spread that good news to this world. And with Jesus' holy name we say, amen.